You know, it's hard to believe that Thanksgiving is just around the corner. Now, I don't know about you, maybe uh, it's a time of great joy. You get to hang out with family and enjoy good food. But for a lot of families, it's a time of stress. And I know we can talk about the preparational stress and the traditions, but I'm not focusing on that this morning. I'm talking about the stress that comes from all the characters in your family. (laughs) If you don't have characters in your family, you're strange. (laughs) Because all of us have characters, and some of us are the characters in our family. You know, as we talk about living happily ever after, one of the first conflicts when you're newly married is the holiday. Now, it's not usually over Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is kind of the consolation prize for the parents and the family that doesn't get Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? You don't get Christmas this year, so you don't get the biggie, so you get Thanksgiving. But it's a time of of a lot of conflict. In fact, in our culture today, if I I say a joke, if I say one word, everybody's going to laugh. If I say in-laws or mother-in-law, right? There's a ton of jokes like that. Maybe you've heard the one that says there's no such thing as in-laws, they're all outlaws, right? And the reason why it's so funny is because every family deals with these family challenges. Listen to what Gary Chapman writes on this, this section. And by the way, if you haven't got this book, Happily Ever After, you need to get it and you need to buy it and read it just for the section on getting along as extended family. Whether you're a parent or whether you're an adult child, it is just incredible in what he talks about. I'm going to cherry pick a little bit of stuff from there. But he begins talking about the conflicts in family. Maybe you've experienced some of these. Maybe you could add to this list yourself. One person says, my sister-in-law is driving me crazy. She's telling me how to raise my kids. The problem is she's single. (laughs) What does she know about parenting? Isn't it amazing when you're single, you think you have all the answers? After you have kids, you realize you just have a bunch of questions. (laughs) Here's another. My mother-in-law and sister-in-law exclude me. They have breakfast out each Saturday and never invite me to join them. They know that my mom and sisters live 600 miles away. I feel left out of their girl thing. Here's another. When my father-in-law comes to dinner, all we can talk about is sports, his work, or what he reads in the paper. He never asks about the details of our lives and seems to be totally disconnected from us emotionally. Know somebody like that? Here's another one. My brother-in-law tries to control my husband. He's five years older, and maybe he has done this all his life, but I don't like it. Again, another conflict. Here's another from a parent's perspective. Our son-in-law has essentially kidnapped our daughter. Since their marriage, he refuses to let her come to family events. Another says this, when my in-laws invite us to their home, they always include all their children and their families. Just once, I wish they would have us over as a couple. Another says, my wife's parents give her money to buy things we can't afford. 
I resent that. I wish they would let us run our own lives. Another says, my husband's mother wants to tell me how to cook. I cooked my own meals for five years before we were married. I think I know how to cook. I don't need her help. It's awkward, another says, to invite just my brother-in-law and sister-in-law to do things. My mother-in-law is divorced, and we feel pressure to include her. And another comment is, my husband's parents just drop in unannounced. Sometimes in the middle of a project I need to complete. I wish they would respect our privacy. And I'm sure that if I solicited you, and some of you have shared some of the struggles that you carry as adult children or as parents of adult children, the frustrations of life, that that we could add to this list that Gary Chapman has put together. But the reality is, is that oftentimes holidays such as Thanksgiving or Christmas become a tremendous source of conflict and tension in the family. Now, there can be conflict at a lot of different levels. Any family members with siblings, aunts and uncles and others. But it seems predominantly that our struggles are between parents and kids and kids and parents and the son-in-laws and the daughter-in-laws with the mother-in-laws and the the father-in-laws of life. Once again this week, as we have been doing each week in our series called Happily Ever After, We've been talking about those crucial areas that, if you're married, more than likely, you got a couple marks in that column. We started off by talking about getting together as a couple and, and being a team, because we are not two, but what was the answer? One, right? Working together. We went on to talk about how children are a major influence in the marriage relationship. And if we're not careful, we can compromise and undermine our marriage relationship. We talked about sex. We talked about how we need to look at it from a biblical perspective and get away from the sect act, sex act and look at about having a loving relationship meeting each other's needs. We've talked about finances and how finances can be a huge issue. And then today, we're going to talk about family. Because out of these areas, all five of these areas are issues that most couples struggle with. And once again, we're not going to necessarily get into the the, the nuts and bolts of specifics, although I will offer some suggestions. But I want to challenge you for a principle that I've been challenging you with each week, and that's to make relationships, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your children, uh, whether it's with family, the priority in your life. You see, I've heard the horror stories. I've heard of, of, of pre-married and married couples about the tension they have between their families. And I've heard of the parents that blame their child's spouse because things aren't going the way that they think that they should. But the reality is, is that this area of our lives and our marriages just reflects another relationship that we have to work on. You see, the simple truth of the matter is, is that when you got married, 
you didn't just marry that handsome man or that beautiful woman. You married her and her family. It's a package deal. So yes, you're marrying the person, but in God's economy and from God's perspective, you're marrying the family as well. And through marriage, God does something incredible as he brings together two families, just as he brings together two individuals who are unique in and of themselves, he brings two families. And and families come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and flavors and personalities. They come with family traditions. They come with perspectives on how they relate to each other and how they face challenges and, and how they spend their time. And the simple reality is, is that every family is different, different. And it's these differences that often lead to opportunities, as I'm going to call them, opportunities for growth. We might call them conflicts. These differences allow for us to work on our relationship skills. Now, there's some that may think that dealing with in-laws is part of man's fall. But actually, it's been part of God's design all along. Yes, the sin nature impacts human relationships, but, but God intended that, that, that families would be more than just a man and a woman, but they would be extended and they would encourage and support one another. If you've got your teaching outlines, go ahead and open them because I want you to see in Genesis 2.24, a verse that we've looked at before, it reminds us of an important truth. In fact, I want to read the portion in yellow together. Would you join me? Therefore, a man shall, help me out here, leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. You see, this verse tells us a couple things about the family. I want to talk about, first of all, what it's not saying. It's not saying when you get married that you are to isolate your family, your parents, your siblings, your extended family. No, it's not stating that at all. Because as you recall from a previous message, we talked about how in the Jewish culture at the time that this would have been written and later on during the Mosaic period, when a couple was married, they would basically, the the parents would build an additional room onto their home and the son with the new daughter-in-law would move in. You see, so he's not talking about the fact that when you become a husband and a wife, you are to isolate or to reject your family, or more than likely, it's your spouse's family. This verse does not give permission for that. And while there may be wisdom in having a geographical separation in in some family situations, that's not what God is saying here. He's not saying get married and then go off on your own and isolate yourself from your family that's not God's desire the second thing that this passage is not saying is it's not saying that you have the right to abandon your family or your in-laws he's not saying that you are to break off every tie yes there is to be and we'll talk about what it's to be in a minute but the Lord is communicating that families 
are to take care of and look out for each other. We see this in the Ten Commandments. Now, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, you'll know that out of the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with your and my relationship with God. Then when you get to commandment number five through commandment number ten, it speaks of our relationship with other people. And actually, the the Ten Commandments are nothing more than an outline of the Mosaic Law that that follows as you begin to really study it out and to, to work through it. But what's interesting to me is is that when God turns from talking about our relationship to him and the four commandments we have to focus on prioritizing him and worshiping him in those first four commandments, do you know what he says in commandment number five? The first one out of these other commandments that speak of our relationship to each other? He says it right here. Give me it up on the, the PowerPoint. He says to honor your father and mother. Go ahead and bring it up. Honor your father and mother. I don't think it's just coincidental that this was the first one. Because God doesn't do anything coincidentally. He's intentional. And so what he's saying here is is that family is important and the relationship between adult children and parents and parents and adult children is very important in God's design for what he intended. In fact, what we see here is God is not encouraging abandonment, but rather the exact opposite. He's calling you to honor your parents. That's usually easier to do, but he's calling you to honor your spouse's parents. And let's talk about that because we may not understand what this word honor is talking about. We can say that honoring our parents may be saying please and thank you. It may be sending them a birthday card or calling them on Mother's Day or spending time with them on Father's Day. And yes, that's included as part of honoring your parents. But really, it goes beyond that. There's actually three aspects to what it means to honor your parents. The first one is, go ahead and write this down in your outlines, it means to to prize highly. Prize highly. I want you to think with me for a moment of a person or people that you love to spend time with. You got a picture in your mind? You got a picture in your mind? Right? Those are the relationships that you prize highly. And you know what he's, God's saying here? He's saying is that when you honor your parents... While you you may not enjoy it the same way you enjoy it with your friends, that's the value or the priority that your relationship is to to have when it comes to the in-laws, to prize highly. You see, it's talking about us intentionally valuing these family relationships. The second thing that honoring our parents talks about, go ahead and write this down, it means caring for them. This this means is that you're going to take care of your parents. We live in a we live in a cultural time where everybody is in it for themselves. And especially when it comes to the in-laws and families. 
We're in it for ourselves. And we're very quick to neglect our responsibility to care for our parents. And we need to understand this in the context of a culture where there were no government programs that could provide for parents and care for them. So that responsibility fell on their children, and it still does. Just because we live in a culture that provides those benefits does not exempt us from the responsibility that we have to honor our parents, which means to care for them. In fact, in Psalm 91.15, this word used here for honor speaks of God's care for his people. It speaks of God's care for you. Let me just say this very bluntly. Your parents are your responsibility, period. Let that thought burn into your brain because that is what God is communicating in the fifth commandment. You need to take care of your parents. Just as your parents are responsible to raise you as their child and hopefully do it in a God-honoring way, you are responsible to care for them when that time comes as well in a God-honoring way. This does not say you can't take advantage of government uh, programs and services that are available to them, but it means is that you take responsibility for them. There's a third aspect that comes out of this fifth commandment, and it's this. Go ahead and write this down. It means to respect them. It means to listen to what they say and to try to, to, to receive the instruction and the care and the love that they have for you. You see, they've lived longer than you, and hopefully they have a bit more experience in life that can be a blessing to you. When you get over to Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle says this, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And we think of that, and correctly so, if we literally interpret the passage as talking about parents and, and their raising of their children. And it calls children to, 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 to obey their parents. But the reality is, is that that form of respect never ends. Yes, the relationship changes and the level of obedience changes, but the point is they still hold that position of priority in your life because they are your parents or because they are your spouse's parents. Are you guys tracking with me on this? Are are we getting the fact of the, the importance of these relationships? Because this is what God says. So go ahead and write this down in your outline. The bottom line here, to sum it all up, is this. I need to treat my parents with dignity. With dignity. Now, I need to kind of divert here for a little bit because in many of your situations, it's hard to listen to what I'm saying because of things that your parents have done and choices they have made in life. And this is where I use two words to draw a distinction here. There are two D words. One is, find a place to write this down. This isn't in your notes. One speaks of our duty, D-U-T-Y, to our parents. Our duty to our parents, whether they've been great parents or they've been the worst parents, is is, is what it would be to any other human being is to see that they are clothed and fed. That's the essence of duty. 
There's no joy in it, there's no delight, there's no enjoyment, but as those that follow God, we're going to make sure that my parents have something to eat or they've got something to wear. Okay? The second level, which is what we're striving for, is the second D word, and that is devotion. And that's where it becomes a joy to provide for them and to care for them and to respect them and to highly prize them. And that's where if you're a parent where you want to be with your kids, you want the relationship to be such that, that it, is a, it is a joy to them and they, they're able to do it out of devotion rather than out of obligation or duty. So this speaks to all of us that are adults that are married. It speaks of our relationship to our parents. God sets the foundation. But I need to speak as well to parents. And uh, in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, that same verse we just looked at, there's things that God says he is doing here. When he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his life, wife, he's saying a couple things. And for those of you that are parents of adult children, what he's saying is this is that I'm creating a new family. The moment that father walks the daughter down the aisle and gives her away, a new family is being established. Regardless of the cultural practices of marriage, the bottom line is is that that marriage ceremony is actually a transition of responsibility from mom and dad over their child to the husband and the wife caring for each other. You see, when a couple gets married, their status in God's sight changes. They're no longer under the umbrella of mom and dad's care, so to speak, although they can benefit and do benefit from it. They now establish an umbrella of their own. And the son becomes the head of the home in God's design. We can talk about that later. I haven't dealt with that. And the wife is a partner, as we talked about in the first message, a complementer in that process. And so God is establishing a new family. That means that it's no longer acceptable for you to impose your will on your children. It's no longer acceptable to say, you won't do that or you will do this. Because the moment they were married, that responsibility is placed on their shoulders. You tracking with me here? There's a new family that's being established. The financial strings, it's helpful as they are cut. It's, it's helpful when those apron strings, emotional strings are, are, are now cut and that couple is encouraged to take responsibility in their own lives. And some kids have to actually be pushed out of the nest because they don't want to leave. It's too comfortable for mommy and daddy to keep taking care of them. But if you're a good parent, you're going to push them out of the nest. I'll never forget, we first were married, Carol and I had this big fight. Probably our first fight. Was it our first fight? (laughs) Who knows? We've had so many of them. (laughs) We're good at fighting. And by the way, I hope this marriage series is helping you because it has been a great blessing to us. And it's just helped us to just kind of once again go back and work on stuff that we need to work on. I hope you're doing the same thing because that's what marriage is all about. But one of our first fights, 
So Carol, did you call your mom or did you go visit her? Don't remember. Okay. So, so she talked to her mom and said, oh, Joe's being terrible to me. You know, she's woe is me, you know, as the new bride. And you know what her mom said? She didn't say, oh, honey, you shouldn't have married that jerk. <laughs> she might have thought it. No, she didn't think it. She didn't think it. We were good buddies. Do you know what she said? She said, I don't want to hear it. You get back in there and the two of you work it out. Right? Isn't that what you're called to do? It's because it's a new relationship. It's a new family. You know what? No, 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 no. I don't want to hear it. I can give you some advice. I can give you some pointers. But you need to go and work it out as a couple. That's what it means as parents. Here's the second thing that God's saying here to parents. Go ahead and write this down. You need to respect them. You need to respect them. I spent a lot of time with uh, couples uh, where the parents have not respected their children or more specifically their child's spouse. They've not respected them. And uh, what happens is when you don't respect your child's spouse, you lose your child. And you should lose your child over that. Do you know why? Because God calls them to now support each other as a family. And when you fail to respect their spouse, you in essence are failing to respect your child and what God has called them to do and be. And what happens in this situation, when you fail to respect the spouse, what happens is that the relationship widens. And the more the parent attempts to control the scenario and force their way, the deeper they drive the wedge and the greater the conflict and the divide becomes. I believe that's why in Ephesians 6, 4, it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Again, this is talking about younger children. But the reality is it's speaking about us being wise. You see, the bottom line here is, is that when your children become married, the glue that holds your relationship together and makes it flourish is respect. Respect for them. Respect for the choices they make, whether you agree with them or not. Respect for the direction they go and how they spend their time and, and how they spend their money and, and their focus in life. Because they are now answerable to God because God has established a new family. It's imperative that we get this. And if you don't let go, there will never be a happily ever after because you as the the in-laws will be miserable and your kids will be miserable. And the joy that should come from times like this of sitting around the table and enjoying family, you're robbed. Everybody's robbed of it because you failed to work on relationships and to implement God's principle. You tracking with me here? You follow with me is that we have to understand that when you get married, you're on your own. And that doesn't mean your parents can't help you, but you're responsible and and we have to let them go as parents. I love what Chapman writes to parents here. This is a long quote, so just kind of listen to me. This is, this is, you've got to buy this book just for this section, these seven chapters. You have to buy it. If you're a parent and you've got kids, and uh, maybe they're married, their adult kids are getting married, or they will be soon. You've got to read this section. If you're, if you're married, and, and uh, you need to read this book. But he says this, 
to them. Remember your objective, talking to parents of kids. Then he goes on to describe our desire to prepare our children to be independent. We want them to make it on their own. We, we want our kids to be successful, don't you? I want my kids to be successful. I want to be able to make it in life. And so everything Carol and I have done has been to invest in our kids and prepare them to succeed in life. And then he writes, though, in the future, then, we must view them as adults that will chart their own course. And here's the catch. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. We must never again impose our will upon them. We must respect them as equals. He continues, It does not mean that we are no longer able to help our children. It does mean that we have a desire to help, but we ask first if they really want our help. You see, an unwanted gift is not a gift at all, but a burden. Parents sometimes give financial aid to their married children, thus helping them to establish a standard of living that they cannot afford for themselves. The practice does not foster independence. He goes on to say, Neither should they use gifts to influence a married child. We will buy this or we will give you this, but we expect that. And let me just be clear. Sometimes those connections and expectations are not spoken. They're not verbalized. But everybody in the room understands the obligation that comes from receiving a benefit from a mom or dad in that scenario. You see, we can't use manipulation in the lives of our kids. He goes on to say this, parents sometimes want to give advice to their married children. The rule of thumb is that parents should give advice only when requested. Only when they ask. Only when they ask. If your children have not requested your wisdom and you feel strongly urged to share it, at least ask permission to do so. A good way to say that is, would you like me to share my perspective on that? That's a really good question. Giving unsolicited advice to your married children does not develop positive relationships. He says a lot more and you can get the book and you can read it, but here's the key point I want you to get. Just as parents are to... Kids are to treat their parents with dignity. Go ahead and write this down. You, as adult children, are to treat, or you as adult parents, or parents of adult children, are to treat your children with dignity. You see what God's talking about? He's talking about relationships. He's talking about the transition that takes place. And, and, and when you do that, then marriage is, is removed of one of the major conflicts that every family deals with. And Chapman goes into a lot of different scenarios and aspects. You've got to get the book. It is worth reading. It is worth reading. I can't say it enough. In fact, um, I was just thinking of, of, of Justin Carroll's in my situation. And um, I, I want to say this in the right way because my family listens to my podcasts, my messages online. And uh, we think the world of my parents... But early on, and my parents are great parents. I wouldn't trade them for anybody. Um, But early on, um, there were some things that got said. And and I I have to believe that 
they weren't intended to bring hurt or harm, but they did. They did. And, um, you know, there would be comments that, and these comments really hurt Carol deeply. Uh, there were comments such as, uh, in essence, and I'm not saying it the right way, but you get the gist, you're the reason our son does not live in Pittsburgh. <laughs> you know, and, and really, everybody understands I'm in this area because this is where God called me to be. And this is where God wants me to be. And this is where I'm staying. This is where God wants me to be. But, you know, a comment like that seems to never get spoken to the child. It gets spoken to the spouse. Um, or there were times that uh, a comment might be made, well, if you lived back here, we could do this for the grandkids. Now, they didn't say it to me, but it got said to my wife. And as it would for any wife, it would rip her heart out as if she's the source of the conflict. Now, let me just say this, is that um, if you're married, you probably know these kind of comments. You probably could give me a couple of your own, if I ask you right now, of things that have been said that have just torn your heart out. Maybe you're not good enough, whatever the reason is, maybe harsher things than that. But what I want you to know is that we, Carol and I, have an incredible relationship with my parents. Carol's parents, her dad passed away just shortly after we were married from cancer. Her mom died a few years later. Um, and we had a great relationship with her mom, both of us. And, uh, and so they, they've kind of been out of the picture. But, but we have a great relationship. Carol has a great relationship with with my, my, my folks and my folks with her. They love and adore her. And it's been because both sides, both families have had to work at emphasizing relationships. There has to be forgiveness. There has to be patience. There has to be love in all of this. Because that's what it takes. That mutual respect, that's what it takes for families to grow and blossom to become happily ever after. I want to work you through some helps here real quick. Let's write these down. I'm going to talk at length about the first two, and then I'm going to kind of skip through the last three. But here's some helps for you. First of all, listen. It doesn't matter whether you're, if you're an adult child or you're the parent. You need to listen, learn to listen to each other. Learn to listen to your child. Learn to listen to your spouse. Sometimes I see parents that just completely rule out the will of their children and think that they should do it the way mom and dad expect. You need to listen. James says, Know this, my brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Maybe you've heard the, the statement that there's, that's the reason God gave us two ears and one mouth. You've heard that, right? You need to listen. And I'm not just talking about just letting the words go in and waiting for them to finish speaking. I'm talking about trying to put yourself in their shoes, trying to put yourself into their situation. Chapman shares this, 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 this lengthy illustration of a, of a, of a gal named Marsha. And uh, she came from a very modest home. 
Her parents were involved in ministry. Uh, they had a heart for missions. They would, they, would, they would save and they would give greatly to, to missionaries and mission works. And she was raised in that as a family, is that her family would, would, would do work and projects to raise money for their missions offering that their church took. And they were heavily involved in their church. Uh, but after two years of marriage, she was frustrated because her husband did not come from that kind of a context. He came from a very affluent family that had a degree of wealth. And so two years in, after marriage, she was frustrated because every month her mother-in-law would take her to lunch and then the, he, she would take her shopping to buy a new dress. Now, some of you are saying, boy, I wish my mother-in-law would do that to me, right? And she says this, at first, I, was a, I, I appreciated the generosity But as time went on, the lunches got shorter and the shopping sprees extended. And Martha became pretty frustrated because she just saw this as an extravagant waste of money. While that might be for some people, that wasn't for her because it wasn't who she was. And the mother-in-law just didn't listen. All she would do is talk about her her, her, card games and and her activities and and other things while they were at lunch and wouldn't really take time to listen to to Marcia in this scenario and uh, and she was overpowering she just was kind of forcing the situation without really having any consideration for what her daughter-in-law might desire to do it's interesting so she goes to Chapman for counseling and he says this he encouraged her to ask her mother-in-law a couple questions And then he encouraged her to listen and to make sure that she was getting it right is to repeat back what she was hearing said. And so the question that he asked Marcia to ask, he asked the mother-in-law next time you go to lunch, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much pleasure do you get out of taking me shopping? And he says if she answers 8 or 10, ask her to tell you why you get so much pleasure out of being nice to me. And that's when Marcia learned, after asking that question, that her mother-in-law struggled as a newly married gal. And she didn't have the money to to buy the clothes. And she often felt embarrassed about her wardrobe. Some of you ladies are connecting with this. And that was the motivation of why she was doing what she was doing. That makes a huge difference, doesn't it? All because she asked the question, And she listened to understand what was really driving the mother-in-law's heart. And because Marcia listened, it made all the difference. And you know what? Eventually she was able to help her mother-in-law to not only be a blessing to her and be a blessing back, but then they began to look at needs of international students and others that had needs because the mother-in-law loved to shop and give gifts. And so they would have lunch spend a great time together, and then they would go out and they would pick out stuff for other stuff because the daughter-in-law said, I've got a clothes full of dresses that I'm never going to wear. But that desire could be shared together and put to use in a great way. It's interesting, Chapman later ran into Marsha's mother-in-law, and she made a statement to him. She said, you know, I know I shouldn't say this, but I love my daughter-in-law more than I love my son. She's done more in my life than you can imagine. 
You see, that's what God's intention is. It's about relationships. It's about respect. It's about dignity. You've got to begin to listen to, to others, not just hearing what they say and waiting for them to take a breath so that you can give your point of view and say what you want to say. But you've got to process what's going on and, and dig deeper and find out what's going on. The second thing you've got to do here, write this down, is you've got to learn to show respect. Most Americans, uh, we show respect based on how we value somebody. If, if I like you, I'll show you respect. If I don't like you as an American, I could care, care less if you drop off the end of the earth. In fact, I might even give you a boot. Get you out of my way. But you see, for the follower of Christ, we're called to respect others based on the value that God places on them. You see, God loves you just as much, or he loves the homeless person just as much as he loves you. God loves the drugged addict just as much as he loves you. God loves the person that's arrogant and self-centered just as much as he loved you. You see, God created all of us as human beings in his own image. And we're called to value others based on the value that God places on them. And that includes our in-laws. That includes our spouses of our married children. And we need to learn to treat them with respect. Do you know what respect does? Do you know what respect really does when you begin to respect another person? You accept them for who they are. When you begin to respect another person, you give them the freedom. You give them the freedom to make the choices they make. That's what respect does. Respect says, well, you're going to make the choices you're going to make. It doesn't mean you agree with those choices. It doesn't mean you like those choices. But you are respecting them for who they are in God and their responsibility to him. It doesn't mean we like them. It doesn't mean we agree with them. It doesn't even mean that we approve with them or their choices. But because they are made in God's image, we treat them with respect. Chapman writes, when I choose the attitude of respect, it will be reflected in my behavior. Respect leads me to give my in-laws the same freedom that God allows me and all humans, the freedom to be different. Therefore, I will not seek to impose my will upon my in-laws. Rather, when I find myself at odds with them, I will look for a solution that will show respect for our differences. I will not seek to control them, nor will I allow them to control me. I will give to them the same respect that I hope they would give to me. You see, in those holiday confrontations, the way you handle that is the parents would make known their desires or their wishes. And if they, if they acquired those times, it would just say to the, the son and daughter-in-law, listen, we'd love to have you over for Christmas. And there's a completing value. And they'd say, but you know what? Out of respect for you as your, your own family, maybe you can come up with a solution or we can work something out. But whatever choice you make, we will support you in that. 
Do you catch what's going on here? Do you see the difference that's taking place here? You see how this makes relationships grow rather than pushing them apart. There's a lot of stuff here. We're out of time. Let me just quickly give you the the rest of these. Go ahead and write these. I'm going to have the worship team come. First of all, uh, the next thing is to speak for yourself. He talks extensively about this. I mean, I, I've heard parents, adult, I've heard parents call their adult married children or their spouses some really ugly names. And he says, you know what? You need to, you need to talk to them and you need to speak for yourself and say, you know what? I, what you said hurt me or my feelings on this are such way, but don't tell them that you're a loser or you're being mean or you're being self-centered. Speak for yourself. That's what this means. The second one is to seek to negotiate. Listen, families are all about negotiation. With the craziness of schedules, you have to work out the details. You got to grow up and you got to come to the table and you got to work it out. You got to talk it over. Unfortunately, many times the parents act more immature than the children do. We got to negotiate. And then finally, we got to give each other the freedom, the freedom to be different, the freedom to be different. So I want to close, and Steve, can you just play something for me? Just, just something, just kind of give me some background music, and just for a few minutes. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the hand of your spouse right now. I want you to take the hand of your spouse, okay? And um, maybe you're dealing with some kind of in-law issue. Maybe it's with parents, kids. Maybe it's a sibling, whatever it is. The music's going to play. Would the two of you just pray about that? Would you just pray about implementing what we've talked about this morning and asking God to help you to change? Would you do that? Take a moment and pray as a couple. Close your eyes. The music's going to play. When we're done, after we've had a season, I will lead us in a word of prayer. Go ahead and do that now. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for those such as Gary Chapman that you've given great insights to and, and how they can be a blessing and challenge to us. Father, I, I speak on this topic knowing that just about every couple deals with these issues in one shape or another. And yet, Lord, the, the reality is, is that We need to adopt your mindset on this. We need to realize of of how you're working and when a couple gets married, how a new family is established and, and how as parents we're to 
honor and respect them and to recognize them to, and to stop trying to force our will on them. But yet on the same token, Father, we're reminded as adult kids that are now married that we have an obligation to honor our parents. We have an obligation to honor holiday traditions. We have an obligation to, to work it out, not just to go with the family that we enjoy being with, but to give equal time for maybe those people and in-laws that it's not as fun to be with. Because this is what it means to prioritize relationships. And Lord, I know that as we work this out in our marriages and in our relationships with our parents and with our kids, that there's going to be great joy that's going to come. There's going to be blessings that are there that we could never imagine. But it's also going to be an incredible testimony to those around us. And it's going to reveal your awesomeness and your glory. Because we as your people have chosen to do simply what you've instructed us to do. So Father, I pray for all the situations that are on hearts right now. I pray for these scenarios each and every week for those I care about. And I just desire, Father, to see that growth take place. And I pray that you'd begin with those that are here this morning and listening to this message, that we would take the responsibility and commit to take the lead, whether we're the parents or whether we're the adult children. And may we give you all the glory. And everyone said, Amen. I'm going to ask the men before they come for the offering, let us sing a stanza or two. Let's stand and just worship from our heart as we conclude our service. The potluck is following. We'll ask you with those of you with children to get them and then get together. 